we're back. Hi, Liz. Hey, Olivia. How's it going? Good. Welcome to season two of Women, Magic, and Power, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have a rip-roaring, rocking and rolling, <laughs> really interesting season. Our guest today... Oh, yeah. So we're starting off with a bang. It's me. Is Olivia. <laughs> That's right. Hello, everybody. I'm the guest, your host. So since we ended last season with my story, we're going to start this season with Olivia's. I think it's only fair. Yeah. Let's open it up. We're going to dive beneath the surface and see what's happening. That's right. All right, everybody. See you on the other side. We're rolling. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm here with guest and co-host, Olivia Boyle. Hi, everybody. So weird to be on the other side of the table. <laughs> so, Olivia, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Did I have a choice? <laughs> um, let's jump right in. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where and how your story began? All right. So, I wear Argentina, how I'm one of four. We... Um, we had also my grandfather that lived in the house. Lots of ways, it was a pretty amazing childhood. There was laughter, there was joy, there was love, there was family and friends and a house that had the doors open for anyone to come in at any time. My grandfather was the first feminist I ever met, so he was a great influence as well. And in Argentina, it's not uncommon to have hired help, so we also had the help that lived in the house. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because it affected the dynamic in the house. Tell us more about how that worked. In lots of ways, it was pretty straightforward. You know, you had help so that they would help out with the chores and the things that needed to get done in the house. And that obviously has a great appeal. And they typically live in the house and are in charge of the kids when nobody else is around. And even sometimes when the adults are around. And in my case, I was pretty scared of our nanny. And she was with you for a long time, right? Like 10 years? Yeah. I was four when she got home. That's when my younger brother was born. And she left when I was 14. So tell us a little bit more about what life was like with this nanny in the household for you. Um... It was pretty scary, particularly when she was the only one in charge. She had the one tone. She would yell and scream. And I think you start getting like a thicker skin and certain things don't scare you as much anymore. Um, but the fact that you're getting used to them doesn't mean that they are okay. She would yell. She would pull your hair. She would be hurtful. She would say terrible, mean things. And I was always on eggshells, not knowing if she was going to be in a good mood or a bad mood. Always calculating, you know, how to make her smile, learning how to dance around her moods. So all of that affects you to begin with and then she would be the person in charge so you also depend on this person and this is not the only thing happening there's times where there's other adults and we're in family and friends and life is grand it's just that I depend on this person when she's in charge and I'm terrified of her so the few times that I did rat her out with my parents when she would be alone with us again she would retaliate and so then I stopped ratting her out and I think I um, started compartmentalizing mm -hmm. so I would be able to manage it my family didn't really know how I felt about it until she actually left but they didn't get the the extent or the depth I don't of think so the, like abuse really for that real she yeah I think you. 
I think that in a lot of ways it was my age that exposed me more to her ways. The fact that I was four and you're in the age where reasoning is not available. You don't reason as much. You don't, you need, you don't understand explanations as much. As a mother of a four-year-old, I know very well that they have tantrums. They go through all the feels. And I don't think this woman had any patience. And she was in charge of four kids most of the time. And my sister was older, so she was in a different stage. My my younger brother was an infant, so he also was in a different stage and became like a second son to her. So I think I was exposed for a longer period of time. I'm sure everyone got it at some point, but I got it the most. Or it affected me more than them. Sure. And I think uh, the, more, the more she would target me, the more I would quiet myself. There yeah. was a lot of managing my own emotions in the bathroom before a shower. So you just had to pack it all in a nice, neat little box and shove it down. Correct. And as a child, I mean, what does that do to you, right? I mean... Well, it comes back to bite you in the ass when you're an adult, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, at some point in your life, you're going to have to deal with it. It's not easy. Um, so tell... So then um, there were some other big changes that happened when That's you right. were young. Right. When I was 10, my parents separated, which was shocking because they got along so well. So no one saw it coming. And they had a pretty wonderful relationship. They enjoyed each other's company. So it was pretty um, unsettling in a lot of ways. Plus the fact that I found out through someone in school didn't help. But they did have a wonderful relationship. I mean, I say wonderful and they ended up separating. So it doesn't add up. Add up. But you can imagine. On the surface. Yes. It looked pretty great. And I think it was a blind side for my mom. Because she did not see it coming. We didn't see it coming. And so... When they separated, my mom started relying on this lady even more, and I was under her care even more without other adults in the house. So it got a little worse, or quite a bit worse. I remember that I started wetting my bed, and now I know that it has to do with having control. But at the time, clearly, I didn't have any control over my parents' situation or over my nanny. And and I was 10, which is pretty up there. And I remember that I would wake up with a wet bed thinking, okay, do I get up and let this woman know that I peed my bed and then she's going to be mad at me and pull my hair, call me names, make me wash the sheets before I get on the bus at 6.30 a.m. before going to school? Or do I sleep on a wet bed? And so I would sleep on my wet bed. Like That's what I thought was the safest choice. And that's how scared I was of her. That's heartbreaking, right? Because we have 10-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And to think about our daughters being in the headspace where they feel like they have to make that choice. Like, what am I going to do to be safe? Correct. That is... And I've had that no situation bueno. with Florence. Meaning I've had the, the chance to react to her pee in her bed as any parent would do with kids growing up and to be able to hold space and make her feel safe and just not get mad mm -hmm. about something that you're clearly not doing on purpose right right so just being able to do that has helped me help like heal myself yeah, because you can reclaim that safety in yes. a way that you didn't have at the time. 100%. Reclaiming is the way to heal. You got to reclaim your power or, you know, you won't be able to heal. And then choosing something else for my kids as well. Right. You're creating these, you're creating these new pathways. Yes. For yourself and your children. Yes. 
And to be able to recognize the things that were good from growing up in Argentina and our family and how we were raised, and then the things that were not good and that I didn't like and I would do different and actively making them different. Um, so, so after this, you know, my rebel years came along where I started, you know, rebelling against the system by completely and utterly being a Guns N' Roses fanatic and, you know, dressing all in black and, you know, rage manifesting, <laughs> which we've laughed about And how before. did your rage manifest? I mean, you had all this stuff that was bottled up inside, right, from all these years. And then how did you let it out? Yeah, just like by, you know, going to <laughs> going to Guns N' Roses hotels and waiting for them to show up and not telling everybody <laughs> because my parents were like, my mom you was You were not, a rebel fangirl. I was, I was of Guns N' Roses. That's how terrifying it was. And I really leaned into it, particularly after my dad died when I was 14. And thank you to my friends for supporting me in this stage because I needed the outlet because our life changed forever, clearly. Suddenly. Yes, very sudden. And like 43. That's how old I am now. He was 43. He was 43. That should remind us that growing old is a privilege, you know. It's a gift. It really is. Um, and so... He was also the main income, and now he was gone. So things changed forever. Number one, we couldn't afford the help, so off she went. Yay! <laughs> yes. Definite silver lining from this situation. Plus the fact that it brought us together as a family. My siblings and I became very close, and we still are. So that is a gift that keeps on giving, and I'm very grateful for that part, I guess, out of all of this. And then, you know, my friends, Guns N' Roses, and... Then the church started taking a major role to help me cope with this situation. How did the church help carry you through? My dad died right around the time that you get confirmation. And so because of the confirmation, there was like an intense Catholic church presence because you're getting ready for that sacrament. And so I became part of this youth group that would go on missionary work. And we would meet every week and we would obviously go to church and confession and whatever. And I think it felt safe and it felt very black and white. This is, this is what the Bible says. This is how you behave. This is what you do. And, you know, you pray, you do your sacraments and then you'll go to heaven. <laughs> do the right things and it helps you control. Yes. It's very, it seems very controlled and very safe. And also in a way my dad died. So you don't want to think there's nothing afterwards, you know, like you want to, somehow hope that there's something for them on the other side and they're, they're still around. And so I think the church had a very big role for me back then. And, and I was fully invested. Right. Um, so, yeah. So when did your view of or relationship with the church start to shift? College has a lot to do with that. I um, first started and dropped out the first year after high school. And that year that I spent um, back at my mom's house was very powerful and meaningful in lots of ways. After you dropped out. Yes. Um, I was suddenly spending time with all these women that are in my mom's life, that were in my life too, but they were not my peers. And that year I started becoming more, I don't want to call myself a peer. But, but you were a fellow adult instead of... Yes. 
the child. Exactly, yes. At, as a young adult, and they were um, now relaying and passing down information or sharing or seeking at the same time that I was. So I was able to be a part of their searches and I was able to see how they were trying to promote wellness and find alternative ways of healing for themselves and for others. So you got to see behind the curtain a little bit. It was amazing. And I totally what did you did. see? Well, there was talks about past lives. We went to see Brian Weiss, who did a conference about past, past lives. I started reading all these books. There was talks about, not talks, I actually saw ayahuasca, and I saw Akashic Records, and I saw past lives, and yoga. And I know yoga now, it's mainstream, but back then in Argentina particularly, it was like, what is that? Um, and meditation and there was all these other tools that started coming to me that felt more liberating instead of the weight that I felt the church had, if that makes sense. It felt lighter and righter. <laughs> like, no, that, that does make sense. And I wonder if you were sort of part of it was that you were, you know, finally in a place where you didn't necessarily need the comfort and security and safety so mm -hmm. much and so it helped you to connect more with these other kinds of practices i think it's totally that i also think that in a way because the church was there while i was grieving my dad it probably felt like heavy years with it like in itself they were heavy but also the the rules were clear black and white but there was also a lot of guilt I don't want to say that there's anything wrong. You can believe on whatever you want to believe. For me, it felt like this was, it made more sense. It was resonating in more parts of my body where I was like, oh, I have some agency here and I chose the souls that I'm coming with. And I, I know this for a lot of people out there sounds like crazy, but in my head, I was like, oh, the idea that I, as a soul, planned certain events in my life so that it would help me become who I am today feels like I have a lot more agency than well I'm here up to like God's will and you know God has a plan right well God's plan and your plan feel very different right even if they're the even if the same things result from those plans the idea that you have this agency is a very profound and empowering one yes right and depending on your conception of god and the divine your plan and god's plan could be one and the same yeah. right if it's if you view the world as the divine is in everything therefore it's within exactly. you then it's 100%. the same so they're not necessarily diametrically opposed but on the surface they are yes Exactly. And then if you use that as some kind of power to control people, then it's like the further away you get from realizing that you actually are the same, right? Exactly. So the fact that there was this fear-based religion, or at least that's what it felt like, you know, you got to follow all these rules or you're going to go to hell kind of thing. And then the fact that there were several members in our community that would judge our choices or what my mom was doing or how she was deciding to move us forward. And kudos to her for not listening to anyone and just, you know, putting us first and following her own instincts into what's best for us because she was right and it worked out great in the end. But the hypocrisy of it all just, I, I need to be able 
to find something that feels more authentic and surround myself with people that are authentic as well. That makes total sense. And I think that also had to do with what the country was going through, meaning a lot of the things were presenting very conservative, but all of these things were happening in the background. Divorce became legal legal in 1987. So that brought a lot of people getting divorced. And then that brought like different realities and different families that didn't look the way that they looked for me the first 10 years, right? Which looked for everybody that way. Right, right. Um, so yeah, so I'm now into like a different view of, you know, spirituality, if you want to, searching, and I'm realizing that I do not fit in Argentina because of everything that I just said. So so where did you go? I was lucky enough to be able to go to Italy. I went to Florence, Italy, where my aunt, cousins, and grandmother live lived. My grandmother passed. Like I was 24. I became very close with my cousins. I became very close with my aunt. I became very close with my grandmother. And all of that, I don't take for granted. Like it was um, a gift. And I loved them. I mean, we were close before, but this is a different kind of closeness, right? Spending but to have the, yeah, day. to have the opportunity to spend real time with them when they lived so far away. Yes. Is pretty magical. It really was. And then. And then again, you have all the agency in the world. You're alone. You're fending for yourself. You're grabbing a backpack and going for two days to a city in Europe because Europe lends itself to do that. I remember several times I could close my eyes and still be there where I would walk the city and all the tourists are asleep and the sun is coming out and you're like the only person crossing Ponte Vecchio. Like things like this that don't happen when you go as a tourist. It's just great. Was there power in that? So much power, so much power. And there was so much growth in this power too, because now there's these conversations about what's best for humanity and how your choices, you know, how to be socially responsible towards society and just all of these conversations that um, open your mind in ways that were not happening for me in Argentina at the time. Maybe I think you, you have both here. I mean, yeah, it's been a long time since I was a young adult, but... <laughs> You know, <laughs> certainly in college, you know, it was staying up until 4 a.m. discussing the state of the world and yeah, history and philosophy and all the things. Mm. Um, there was good food, good wine, good laughs, and a lot of, yeah, just pondering about the world and humanity and things that open your mind in different ways that I had not experienced until then. And then I broke up with a boyfriend that I had at the time. And I had the option of going back, we were in Germany at the time, going back to Florence and kind of figuring out my next move from there or going back to Argentina. And I did have a marketing degree. So I was like, well, maybe I should use it. <laughs> so I went back to Argentina and I got my ducks in a row and I got a company going and I rented an apartment in the city. And then I spent three amazing years reengaging with the social scene. Right. And there was some, you know, thinking about what the future may look like. But I think for me, it was mostly I still don't fit here. I still don't feel like here's where I belong. I'm trying really hard. I did start um, past life therapy. Uh, trying to heal my wounds from breaking up with this guy in Europe. And it led me very quickly to conventional therapy. But my therapist 
as you can imagine, since she did past lives, wasn't very conventional. So at the end of it, we did a constellation, which is kind of like a role play of emotions. You choose someone to impersonate something or someone and um, whatever comes up is what helps you heal and move on. And in my case, someone played the role of my dad. And what came up was rekindling the relationship with my dad that I guess grief and shock had frozen in time. And when that happened, all these little other signs, which my therapist warned me, like, listen, now that we've kind of like rebooted this relationship, you might find that a good song comes up and it reminds you of your dad or, you know, a sign or, you know, something on the TV. And among all of those things happening. This is all going to start manifesting somehow, right? The other thing that happened is that all these people around me started coming up to me, asking me if I was related to my aunt Josefina, because she was able to see people on the other side and working with Reiki. And I had no clue that she was doing that. I mean, I guess her path had started a few years ago. And she, it wasn't something that she did since I was a kid. That's right. what I'm trying right. to say. So I was unaware that this is what she's doing now. And you can all go back and listen to Josefina's episode from season one yes. if you have not yet done that. I know, and it's a good one. So by all means, do that. I end up going to see her. Um, and But how did you end up going to see her? I called her and I said, hey, Jose, you keep showing up. I'm driving and you show up on the radio and on a radio show. Um, people are calling me and asking me if I know you. And she responded to that. Your dad has been trying to get you here. Boom. That was like an intro of like, oh, shit, what am I getting into? Mm-hmm. So I went there and my life changed forever. Liz. That was the beginning of a new life. Um, we did a session again, very healing, very liberating, obviously working through some shit with my dad, because apparently, uh, dad that cheats on your mom and, um, dies when you're 14 can cause some emotional damage. I think that's reasonable. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a lot to process and he completely like affected my view on relationships and men inevitably gonna warp my choices and decisions after that Josefina became like a master and a teacher for me for the rest of my life she still is she's coming tomorrow um but yeah so she taught me Reiki one and one thing that we talk about at Reiki is that for the next for the first 21 days after you get the level one you're going to be practicing on yourself and usually what happens is Reiki aligns your four bodies, the mental, the spiritual, the physical, and the emotional. And anything that's preventing those four quote-unquote bodies to be aligned will start to crumble because, or it will be more noticeable if you want to say it in another way. Because you've been ignoring it, looking the other way. Right, it's going to come to the surface. Yes. So so you can jettison it. Exactly. In my case, what came to the surface was the fact that Argentina was not the place for me. I think I felt like a little stuck, like things weren't evolving or going anywhere. I was having a good time, but that was about it. And then I came to visit some friends in 2009. And from then on, this like noise in my head of like, maybe I should just try New York, which is terrifying. That's quite a leap. Like you're jumping to a void point. This is all you jumping into 
the chaos of the Big Apple. Which felt like home right away. I mean, what a great gift when things just fall into place and everything just seems to flow and you can just enjoy the ride. It felt as easy as, I think maybe I want to try New York and then... It's almost as if like someone rolled a red carpet for me. Like, <laughs> of course. <laughs> like I called. Come try us. That's right. I called two people that I knew and I tested the waters and they were both like, yes, you should come. One of them needed a, a roommate and the other one worked at a restaurant. And she was like, if you don't find another job, you have a job with us. So before moving. Boom. And I called a lawyer at the time to figure out the papers. And he was like, yep, we can work it. Like my grandmother was American. We can get this work. So it felt like the, the three main question marks had an answer. So I should maybe follow the signs. <laughs> no reason not to do it. Right? It was very scary to step out from a very comfortable structure for lack of a better word cage like I was caged in into my comfort of my job my apartment my family my friends my social life and I needed to leave all of that behind it's a gilded cage yes but it's still a cage it right? is it wasn't serving a purpose anymore so I needed to I needed to do something to change and I had some good talks with family and friends and made the call and moved to New York. So you get to New York. I get to New York and I am living it up. The city is amazing where nobody gives a shit what you look like, what you do, or, you know, what you're wearing. And you can forge your own or path. Or if you're 29 and unmarried. Right? In fact, you're 29 and married. The, like, the city is where it's at. Like, that's where you want to be. It's amazing. There's something also very powerful about starting over you know, and having the chance to get to know yourself in a new situation and to step up to the plate. And I meet Pat 15 days after that at a job interview. Um, yeah. Pat is her husband. Pat is my husband. And he was, I mean, it was as if I met him before. It was very comfortable and new and exciting. But at the same time, it was flowing and there was no mind games so I came here not knowing if I was going to stay in New York or not I was trying it out and I guess now I'm staying so New York worked out I guess <laughs> <laughs> it definitely got you to the next level it really did in and a lot of different ways yes so when I got here I was working at a restaurant again as a manager this time and then when I got married with Pat, I found a job at an office and I got pregnant with Florence. And I think that's when the next big um, learning curve showed up in my life because motherhood is quite a teacher, let me tell you. <laughs> it really is. So I think that's when all of this story that I just told you kind of like came to a head. You know, the constellation and that therapy helped heal my relationship with my dad. There were a lot of things about how to be a mom that hadn't been resolved. And I say this in the sense of... And about how you wanted to be a mom. Yes. Right? How were you going to do it on your terms? Yes. I had a choice to pay someone to take care of my daughter and keep working and... No surprise there. I was like, nope, I'm staying with my daughter home. 
And that brought a lot of the ghosts from the past because now I found myself as a stay-at-home mom with my daughter all day long and my husband going off to work and my beautiful breastfeeding and pregnancy hormones telling me that my husband's going to cheat on me because that's what happened to my mom. Part of my history as a child engraved in me that I didn't want to find myself in the situation that my mom was, that my dad died and she had to go out of work and my siblings had to go out of work to help with the bills. You didn't want to be dependent? Not at all. I found a job to work from home, but it still wasn't, it still didn't feel like I was doing enough. Did you, so did you talk to Pat about it? Of course. I mean, I had no choice because if I want this marriage to work, we have to talk about this and I have to be vulnerable. And I think it lent for this opportunity of healing, you know, this ghost and understanding that me staying at home is not less valuable than him going out to work. And that can still be hard nowadays. It's just not as prominent, most strong thought that I have. It can make noise sometimes in the background, but not the way that it did back then. Back then I was convinced that I was going to be cheated on and that I, um, and that I wasn't worth as much as he was because now I didn't have the salary that I had or the opportunity to make a career or, you know, I'm a stay at home mom. Yes. And it's, it, I think a lot of women of our generation and generations following it are going to struggle with because we're conditioned that you can do anything you want and you should do but you should do all the things and you have all these opportunities to be independent and have amazing careers and do all these things but you really need to have a husband and children also (laughs) yes right and it's like if anybody saw the barbie movie over the summer that's right monologue that america ferrara has it's true right you have to do all the things all the things or you don't have value so for you know went to college and did the things and you know started on career paths but then decided to stay with children which I'm going to argue is much harder than working outside of the home. Um, we're taught that that doesn't have the same kind of value. And I see. But yet everybody wants us to do it. <laughs> you know, I have some friends who are um, very invested in their careers and love their careers and are doing amazing things. And they also have children and they have this paralyzing guilt Mm, there's the other piece from the other mess you know from Mm -hmm. the same messages that we're all getting and we're all just taking different pieces of those messages yeah right and they have this paralyzing guilt about well what if i didn't do this right and maybe i should have been there but no instead i took this job and you know there's there's no winning right again as america for our said there is no winning and so we just have to decide that we're just going to be who we are and do what we do. And that's enough. Whatever we do is enough. That's right. Repeat that as a mantra. But so at the time I had this great conversations with Pat about it. And, and I also came to terms with the fact that it wasn't fair to put my father's sins on him either. You know, that was my parents' story, not 
my story. And if I didn't want to repeat that story, I needed to actively choose something else, you know, bring it to consciousness. And I think that also made a difference on the way that I parent, because I guess what I'm trying to say is kids are amazing teachers for creating these opportunities of healing and actively choosing different paths. And I found myself at first as a parent that was very much reacting the way that I grew up, right? With anger and raising my voice and being upset about like things that a three-year-old cannot control. Because so, those are the patterns that you know, right? Because that's what you were raised with. So actively working in not doing that was a lot of work and sometimes still is an everyday choice, you know, to do it differently. I, there was this book that I read somewhere along the way that was called Loving What Is. And let's see if I can, you know, make it justice. But it went a little bit like this. On one hand, how when something bothers you from someone else, it's because they're showing you a side of you that you don't like about yourself. And the other part is this whole concept about thinking that you have some control over someone else's actions and then you get upset when it doesn't work out the way that you want it to but if you're able to accept them as they are then your chances of living at peace and in the present are greater because now you're not hallucinating that your forgetful husband will suddenly remember certain things and that doesn't mean you can ask him to do things right it's double the work <laughs> meaning he's still gonna forget things and I am going to get mad about it versus like knowing that he's going to just love in what is. It's very, so I use my husband as an example, but I should use it as a kid, right? Like if my daughter is three and she's going to lose her mind, she is three and she's going to lose her mind. So me losing my mind because she loses her mind. It's not going to help anyone, no. particularly me. So being able to actively choose and learn how to hold a love in space and not react because I think react is the word that's key right there's a lot of reactive parenting versus conscious parenting and I think that made the big difference between <clears throat> what I knew and what I am doing just not reacting and actually choosing what to manage and not manage and what to do with situations. Sometimes it's not doing anything, but it makes such a difference because you're more present. The other yes. is very reactive. So I think that's the word. I think <clears throat> reactive is the way that I was raised. Right. So, yeah. So and reactive it sometimes in the moment feels like the easier thing to do. Oh, yeah. Right. Because, okay, well, we're just going to solve this and move forward. But it, doesn't necessarily do anything good for the long game. Well, and and the key word being solve. I don't think you solve anything. You no. are you are reacting and that causes if you keep reacting that certain way, it'll cause that dynamic to keep repeating itself. And so you didn't solve anything. You no. just created a dynamic that is not it's going to keep retrofeeding itself, right? Right. versus Right, because choosing. you yes, because you fool yourself into thinking, well, I've solved this situation <laughs> yes. right here and now. Yeah, but in the long term, it just it just perpetuates the nonsense and makes everything harder. So, so next came Florence, um, which I think it's the part where I actually made this 
conscious choice of choosing something else. Florence, at age three, was diagnosed with arthritis. She had a swollen knee that ended up with her in the hospital for five days and a knee surgery. And then they figured out that it wasn't an infection and it was arthritis. Back to the books and doing the homework the way that I do. I started finding alternative ways of healing that would support the medical trajectory of things, you know. The scientific part was doing its part with the medicine and all of that. But I was doing my work with the emotional part and the psychological part and the, you know, the dynamics that we don't pay attention that are playing out. And so her arthritis brought to light all of this ways of um, raising kids that it was the way that I knew, right? And it because arthritis has to do emotionally with the lack of flexibility and with, you know, getting angry and reactive. And so it brought to consciousness that I was in some way, as much as I didn't want to be my nanny, in some ways I was acting up like my nanny, not to the extent clearly. And so to actively realize that, that her behavior was my behavior, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And that I didn't have to change her behavior. I needed to change my behavior. And so instead of being strict and not have flexibility and have, you know, get upset or angry at certain things, I would start laughing at things and I would be flexible about things. And I would focus on how I would deal with any situation that came at us and me becoming more flexible changed her demeanor and me um, having a bigger sense of humor and laughing changed her uh, sense of humor. And how to focus in what matters. So to be able to recenter where you focus and what's important, that's where I think Florence's arthritis came in to like be in a way a, a teacher in all of this. That added to the fact that after Florence was born and for the next 10 years, Josefina started coming twice a year and we started working together and she trained me into a Reiki master and she taught me all this shamanic extra tools to call it something or resources and so to be able to work on people and realize that we're all going through shit all of us like it doesn't matter what you think about the other person they are going through shit so true and they may keep it so together and present something and then they lay on that table and it's such a different story that it brings you more compassion and it again refocuses your attention and Josefina always talks about coherence but yes to be coherent with the way that you live right so if I am trying to teach you these things then I have to live the way that I'm teaching you these things. And if I am trying to tell you that what matters is that you're kind and compassionate, then I have to be kind and compassionate. So it's it's a work. You got to be present. You got to be focused. And then at the same time, I was trying to get pregnant. So between all of those things happening, I think my body was not on board. I didn't have any problems getting problem, uh, pregnant with Florence. So... When I wasn't getting pregnant with Indy, it, it was weird. Yeah, you started wondering what's going on. And coming to terms with the fact that we had to do treatment was not easy. I think there was like two years of trying and still figuring it out and eating the healthy and not having the gluten and not doing the dairy and acupuncture and all of the things. It's got to be very stressful. I, I think that doesn't help either. No, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like a vicious cycle, right? And you find yourself caught with your thoughts a lot. And I was lucky to have Pat that was very supportive and that didn't care about the outcome in the sense of there was no pressure coming from him, only support. He was okay with whatever I would decide. If we wanted more kids, he would go for more kids. If I didn't want more kids, he would be okay with Florence. So I wanted more kids. I was set on four. <laughs> There's a difference between wanting four kids and thinking that you need to have four kids. And I didn't realize that at the time. And obviously constellations and also a thing called biodecoding came to place. And that helped me realize that there was this unconscious allegiance to my family tree where I felt like I needed to have four kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but, right? you know, but these things get imprinted. Yes, it's funny. Finally came to terms, did the IVF route and was very lucky that on the first round, Indy came to term and he's here and he's amazing. But then after Indy, because I was still in my four path, that came after Indy, solving that part of the puzzle. I had embryos and I thought, let's do it. I went through five more cycles, which is five more rounds of hormones, Oof. five more hopes up, and then hope lost, which is so hard to deal with. And I think... It's a lot of hope and grief. Yes. And in every cycle, you have the hope of the next one. But when you're getting to the, towards the end, it's the hope, the grief, and the pressure. And, like, and it's on. Like this one has to work. This one has to work. In my case, I was not going to do it again. I was 42 about the time. So this, this was it. And, it. and it didn't work. And that brought, again, grief and anger. But, but what, uh, yeah, what else did it bring? I was going to say anger. Um, I was so mad and disappointed and ashamed and um, lost. Like you feel like while you're going through IVF, you feel like you're stuck, right? Because all these people around you are moving forward with their lives, whatever that may look like. You feel like it's unfair. Like what not, why not me? Why do these people get to move forward and I don't? Like you're right? left behind. And you're stuck in this loop that's like a dark hole. And I've had so many conversations with Pat and he has been amazing. So I think when I didn't get pregnant, he probably felt some kind of like relief where I felt so mad. Um, and then he said to me, I feel bad that I don't feel like you feel, but your feelings are valid too. You know? Right. Was there a point that you came to in the process where you did feel relief? At the end, when finally the last one didn't work. So after... After the anger, after the grief, after the hopelessness came the relief and the knowing that, you know what, we gave it our all, it didn't work, and I, and I don't have to go through that again. <laughs> and that is pretty relieving. Yeah. Like, the pressure's gone. The pressure's gone. The cycle's <clears throat> closed. So to finally feel like, oh, I can just say I went through IVF and I didn't get pregnant and it doesn't hurt anymore. Because it's, you just want to cry. Those 10 years, you're very, you could cry very easily if you went there. You, I was at least actively trying not to go to that space where it's so vulnerable and tender. Now I can go there and I can have this conversation with you and not lose my mind. Because again, in my case, I'm very lucky and I have Florence and Indy. I 
don't want to imagine what that would feel like if you even go through all of that and don't end up with a kid. My heart goes out to every woman doing IVF and trying to get pregnant and not being able. Like, <laughs> there's all this noise again that so is much in noise. the background. Yeah. And when you live with that kind of noise for that length of time, like it's got to just wear on you and drain you. You spend so much mental energy making the noise quiet enough so you can function in your daily life that like you compartmentalize what do you have left right yeah and i think again in a weird backhanded way i think florence's arthritis because it snaps you out like this kid is here and she's going through pain and we gotta heal mm -hmm. this and we gotta address this so it kind of helped snap me out of that void that I could have gone through, you know. Right, and ground you in the here and now. In the here and now. And in a way, like they even each other out because you can also go down a rabbit hole with Florence's arthritis. So to be able to have that ability to manage those things at the same time was kind of keeping me leveled in a way. That's right. Now you do, I feel like you're doing a lot of um, meditation with your flowers these days. and Yes. That's helped a lot. Letting the noise fall away. Yeah. Through COVID, you and I worked at Chubby's. And episode one, everyone, go listen to Lynn. Then I left that. We started figuring out what was next. And among other things was the podcast. But then, I don't know, I, st I had the garden for a few years. And I realized, you know what, let's go fully in because that's how I do things I guess. <laughs> and so I went in and I'm now growing these flowers that I'm selling to members every week and it brought this added the gift of every step along the way has this active present paying attention observing there's a lot of mindfulness in it so yeah that's a great little extra bonus to my wonderful idea of Starting with the flowers. <laughs> Yay. Well, you know, somewhere in part of your consciousness, it was probably, you know, a way to get yourself outside. And and also, like, since we moved here, we are lucky enough to have the green space. And I remember Pat was like, let's do goats. Let's do. And I was like, nope, I'm not taking care of animals. Like, I have my dog. That's enough. I don't know, it just felt like the right thing to do. And I may never have a summer vacation in my life again. <laughs> but it is pretty amazing. Because we're almost at the end of the season here. You know, fall started. And to be able to see the full arch of things now, mm. right? From like the little seeds in the basement with the lights to all these plants that are out there that I grew from seed. And I harvested and I made bouquets. It's great. I'm also ready for it to be done. Sure. Winter break. <laughs> I need like a little break. But yeah, the cycle of creation. Yes. Right? Yes. So I guess the creativity part went through a different channel. Yeah. But yeah. You're so creating and via these flowers and these bouquets, you're connecting with new people. That's and true. all the things that we all like to talk things. about here. Yeah. That's right. Um, okay. So is there any... Words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with, Olivia? Yeah. Um, don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. As I said, I've been in restaurants, I've been in offices, and now I'm doing flowers and podcasts. So reinvent yourself. There's a lot of power in choosing how you want to live your life. 
So as long as you are kind, respectful to others about it, go ahead and choose how you want to live your life, you know? Choose your own adventure. Yes. I see a lot of settling down. So don't settle. Don't settle. Go for it. Go for whatever makes you happy, you know? And love what is. (laughs) Love what is. Thank you so much, Olivia. This was wonderful. Thanks, really Liz. really enjoyed going on this journey today. Oh, thank you. We will see you all next week when we talk with... Burlesque Queen Angie Pontani. Woo!